Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. My name is Jack Donnelly and we've got plenty to chat about on this episode of the Roundup, with the big teams dropping points in the Premier League and the European draws to consider as well. As always, I'm joined by some of Napier's finest with Struan Garvey, Graham Sinclair and Jamie McIntosh with me for the next hour or so. Good to speak to you lads, we're recording a bit later tonight because I was back at the old uh, the old 10 to 6, not 9 to 5, even though that is how you make a living, but... How have we been? How are we today? Are we all doing well? Very eagerly, good, yeah. eagerly anticipating talking to my friends. That's good. It's been it's been a full wait today. You knew this conversation was coming, so you've been excited. Mm-hmm. Had a KFC. I'm feeling good. Oh, smashing! Lovely. What did you What did you go for? What's your KFC order? I want that chicken. I want that chicken strips, those fillets. Oh, the the boneless fillets. Oh, why? Oh, yes. Very good. Jamie, how are you feeling? Yeah, very good. Uh, quite a busy day at work, and then. Came home and managed to do a little bit of work for uh, our sole solitary re- remaining assessment that we have left. For Dr. Um, O'Neill. For Dr. O'Neill. I'm anxiously anticipating my grade coming back. It's I'm just on the edge of my seat. I think that the marking is... Working on its about, way down, yeah. On about... Well, Struan, have you had your mark yet? So it must be somewhere around about G... Yeah. We're at mid-table. We're around in the the so whether <laughs> I'm going to get it tonight or tomorrow, I don't know. I mean, so it's, it's just a, a very exciting uh, moment for me right now. Struan, you got your mark back. Are you are you pleased? Pleased with your mark for that essay? Yeah, I'll take it. To be perfectly honest, I did, did a bit of my other <laughs> assessment today, and I'd be lying if I said I got up to much else today. To be perfectly honest, just a boring Monday. One, one with, a, yeah. To be fair, boring Monday, yeah. I feel like we, we need a few boring Mondays now because that's us kind of done with classes and after this week we're done with assignments as well. Mm. All we've got to keep is going is podcasts, which I know we all love so much committing to every week. That says it all. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going we're gonna to come to this week's big question and I mean it was a fairly self-explanatory one for me to come up with this one this week. Uh, the draws for both the Champions League and the Europa League took place today, so this week's big question is centred around European football. A much simpler one in comparison to these questions, and I did give you preparation time after I had complaints from a number of men- members of this panel. Uh, what is everyone's favourite moment in the Champions League? Now, I have a feeling I know what people are going to say for their favourite moment, because our personal biases will all be at the forefront, considering we've all seen our team lift the trophy in our lifetime but aside from that is, is there anything else that stands out as just unbelievable like and unexpected moments that none of us could have seen coming and stuff that will stay with us for a long long time Celtic Celtic beating Barcelona 2-1 oh interesting oh, you said oh, not your team <laughs> sorry you said not your own team <laughs> oh. big team friends right how dare you boys say this anyway boys <laughs> <laughs> No, so uh, so my dad's a Celtic fan, and I remember at the time, quite often in the Champions League, a lot of his pals and stuff come around like that, and I remember just seeing all of them just go mental, I thought it was a very good moment, and obviously it's pretty incredible, you know, Celtic beating Barcelona 2-1, and Tony Watt basically got a career out of that goal, so... Hearts legend, hearts legend, Hearts legend, Anthony Watt. (laughs) Give him his full name when we're talking so highly about him. (laughs) But yeah, I I think that one, I mean, obviously, personal bias would be Man United winning, and... John Terry, of all people, slipping was fantastic. But I, I would say Celtic away from my own team. So really not too far from your own team anyway, as, as Ab's fan. Just just a big brother, eh? Let's move on swiftly. 
<laughs> oh dear. Uh, Graham, how about yourself? What stands out to you as a properly fantastic Champions League moment? Well, you see, give personal bias, but both mine are recency bias. Obviously, Liverpool Barcelona is obviously my personal one, my own team. Just a special night, my favourite game of all time. I, I, I could watch that at any point. It's just a special night, a special comeback. But I actually went for the same Champions League. I think that's probably the best Champions League season yeah, of all time. Yeah, it was, time. It was fantastic, think, wasn't it? Uh, there have been a spell when I watched an intro game as uh, Ajax going to the Bernabeu and winning 4 1 and knocking the four of the last five winners of the Champions League of Real Madrid out with ease. It was one of the best performances I've ever seen in the competition. Mm. A team of youngsters and experienced players that kind of fitted out in other big leagues and they tore apart the, uh, a dynasty it was unbelievable to watch I just, I just always reminisce about that with that one angle of that Hakim Ziyech pass mm-hmm. and he just absolutely launches it and then just kind of strolls forward just kind of watching admiring his handiwork I always remember that when I hear you talking about that game but there were so many just huge moments in that Champions League I mean you think of kind of Spurs' involvement throughout that I mean their quarter and semi-finals mm-hmm. exactly Ajax put, putting out Juventus as well was a big thing mm-hmm. Liverpool winning in Munich C1 was a big moment United's PSG game <laughs> <laughs> no we didn't I knew there was going to be laughter <laughs> Still was. Yeah, it was a huge comeback. It basically put a man in, in a job for a year and a half. Messi's free <laughs> kick in the first league at the same thing was pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. It's just an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable season with a bad final. Yeah, that that was. It just was a bit of a letdown, that final, because I remember it. I, think I was on a work night out, I think, and as soon as I walked into the first pub, I see oh, one minute in, one goal. I'm thinking, oh, great, this could actually be like really entertaining took to the, the 87th, 88th minute and Origi got the second, so a, a, a shortcoming to an excellent and entertaining Champions League season, I think we can all agree. Jamie, how about yourself in this one? As far as going away from my own biases, I think uh, you use a right to mention Ajax, and uh, I'll follow on on that and mention Spurs' victory in, uh, in Amsterdam, would be one of my uh, ones from a more neutral perspective. And I think from the previous season, uh, I think that was 2016-17 Champions League, uh, Barcelona 6, Paris Saint-Germain 1. Just that last seven minutes, I think I saw that clip get tweeted out again today. Yeah, BT put it up. BT put the whole kind of final seven minutes. La remontada, as the Spanish would call it. You, you just don't ever think you're going to see something like that when you can... Especially when Cavani scored in that game. Exactly, yeah. You think, mm-hmm. done. Like there's there's no way, and then that ball just gets chipped into Sergio Roberto running on it, just launches his body at the ball, tries to get any touch on it whatsoever, and he does. And what more can we say than classic Unai Emery, mm. manager of PSG? <laughs> bad evening. I bad think. evening. I think for me, uh, La that one game does stand out for me massively. Uh, but I I kind of want to highlight an individual performance. I think uh, Angel Di Maria. In the 2014 Champions League final, if I'm right with that, Atletico between yeah between yeah, the Madrid clubs, Ledesma. it was the Ledesma final, and I just thought that he'd been so kind of underutilized and underappreciated compared to the likes of Benzema, Ronaldo, and Bale that season, and he went out and had an absolutely unbelievable game, and 
Obviously, the headline gets stolen because Ramos scored very late on to take it to extra time. Ronaldo scored, I think, was it the fourth goal? Or yeah, he got the very last one as a penalty. And ripped his shirt off in celebration because classic Cristiano. Uh, but Gareth Bale as well, scoring in that and having an excellent first season in Madrid. I, th- I think the La Decima season does really stand out for me in terms of kind of my first real appreciation for European football, I suppose, at that point, because I think up until that point, I didn't t- can entirely watch like the domestic leagues and everything had very little exposure, but having watched the Champions League right the way through and then seeing that final play out the way it did, I felt awful for Atletico Madrid, but at the same time, I, I, could, I couldn't really look past Real because they were just had that mentality, had that mental strength to be able to come back late on and go on and just dispatch them an extra time, so... That, that stands out for me. There are other moments as well. I mean, Ronaldo's overhead kick in the semi-final against uh, Juventus in 2018. Yeah. And then you think, oh, that's one of the best goals that you've ever seen in Champions League. Bale then goes and scores a better one against Liverpool in the final. Mm. There's, there's so many individual moments that you could pick out. Uh, obviously, we try and stay away from... Per- I said try and stay away from personal biases, but I, I don't know what... I, was happy about more on the night in 2012. Drogba's equaliser or his final penalty. I I generally couldn't pick between the pair of them because they were such massive, iconic moments for him as a player and Chelsea as a club. The thing that I fit into my other kind of non-neutral moment, which was another Chelsea's semi-final overshadowed their final. I think going to the Torres, yeah, against Pete Barcelona at the New Camp, and anyone going to do it? In, no, we, Sean mentioned it the other week, didn't he? The Gary Neville. And Torres Excuse when Chelsea and Barcelona meet up, there's always sparks. Because when you mentioned 2012, you also have to mention 2009 with the. Mm-hmm. the yeah, the, the Iniesta. The Iniesta got incredible, the two incredible goals, but obviously the refereeing performance in that game. Completely overshadowed by a, by a referee. Yeah. Yeah, Chelsea's whole campaign. <laughs> Chelsea's whole campaign that, that led to that 2012 victory. I mean, for me, one of the the, the more precisely, yeah, that home game against Napoli. Um, the, just the whole campaign. You speak about the final coming from behind. You speak about Barcelona pretty much looking down and out, and then obviously the the uh, round of 16 game. I think that was um, it was round of 16. You're right. Who did we beat in the the last eight? Quart- was it Benfica? Benfica. I yeah. wanted to say I yeah and got them again in the Europa League. Morelles scored. I Morelis scored that absolute and did that weird celebration. It was a very weird celebration. You're absolutely right. <laughs> right you can move on. We'll we'll just keep talking about. We, we, we would keep talking about the Champions League, and we're going to talk <laughs> a lot about it at the end of the show. But we've got to cheer some football first. Uh, I mean, despite most of the well, weekend's biggest action taking place in England, we always do start our show up here in Scotland. And for me, there's a bit more to discuss regarding the Edinburgh teams this weekend than there are the Glasgow sides, which fits this show very well because while we're scattered throughout the country at the moment, it is an Edinburgh-based podcast at the end of the day. We're going to start with Hibs, and Jack Ross's side ran it as 4-0 winners away at Hamilton on Saturday afternoon with contributions to the goals coming from all over the park. Stuart, it was another strong showing from Hibs yet again. What did you make of this game and the result itself? Yeah, I thought it was a really good performance. I think it was really important as well when you look at the table that temp- temporarily into second, <laughs> no longer, but I, I think that was massive. And I think there's been a few moments this season where Hibs have stumbled in the big games, not not not, not bigging up Hamilton too much, but I, th- I think more what the result meant. And I think to, to go and score four goals, I think it was very impressive. And it's nice to see Paul McGinn getting on the score sheet again and Kevin Nisbet again right at the end. 
I was going to mention him, of course, because I think if I'm right, that's his eleventh goal this season. I could, I could be wrong. I think I did see eleventh somewhere. Uh, it's furthered the argument once again that he should potentially be in a Scotland squad at some point in the near future. Uh, Jamie, based on some of the other strikers that we've seen in Scotland squads in recent memory, uh, is it almost a no-brainer for Steve Clark to be making making that move to bring him into the setup ahead of? Uh, March's World Cup qualifiers and then inevitably have his name thrown in the conversation for June's uh, Euro 2021 journey. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, look, if you're if you're a striker and you're scoring goals, then you know you you deserve your your name to be uh, to be thrown in into contention for for a, for um, selection. So, you know, I think Lawrence Lawrence Shankland obviously has not done an awful lot this season yeah. and uh, Kevin Nisbet has so you know for for me going by that alone Kevin Nisbet deserves deserves his opportunity more than Lauren Shanklin does right now no I'd, I'd completely agree with that I suppose another name you might want to chuck in there Ollie Burke having done very little if not nothing for Sheffield United this season yeah so could definitely see him could definitely see Nis, no, Nisbet making a squad in the near future over at least one of them. Uh, Graham, I mean, there just seems to be a bit of a kind of feel-good factor around Hibs at the moment. I mean, Stuart mentioned it already, the the club kind of temporarily moved into second ahead of Celtic before they get their win on Sunday. I mean, wait, wait, what do you think it comes down to in terms of the positivity coming out of the club? Is it just down to results, just down to how the manager's running things, the player, it's the players themselves, or is it just a big combination of everything pulled together and a wee bit more? I think it's always in these situations a bit of a combination of everything. You look at it, they have, they have a manager that the supporters and the players have full trust in the way they might leave eventually, but like, full trust that he mm-hmm. knows he knows what he's doing. I don't think Hibs had a bit of a tough run at that recently. And then you look at the players, they have a combination of Doidge. Nisbet and Boyle is a trio which is the best in the league outside the two Glasgow sides yeah. so when that's the case you're going to be a good team it's not Hibs overachieving this this is Hibs this is what Hibs should be doing mm-hmm. and in recent years they've been underachieving so it's where it's them getting back to where they should be considering the size of the club no definitely uh, just slightly touch on Hamilton I mean there's not really a lot to say I mean there wasn't really any sort of outcry for Brian Rice's head this week. I mean, just kind of a fairly routine result, one that everyone was kind of expecting at this point, do you reckon? Oh, one that is just... I don't know if you watched Hyatt this game. They were so, so bad. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like it's just... They offered nothing going forward, and the goals Hibs scored are so easy. And three goals are as a result of poor marking from balls into the box, two crosses, one can see a penalty as well. It's just... Hibs didn't have to work hard in this game and just completely tepid performance for Mackies. Again. <laughs> Again. Yeah. After Again. a couple of weeks where you thought, oh, they might, this might be their comeback, but then Hibs kind of sent them crashing back down to earth. Away, away to Ross County uh, this weekend coming. I mean, that's going to be a fairly big game for Ackies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I won't throw out any predictions for how that one's going to end up just now. Absolutely not. Yeah, you wouldn't want to. It's uh, yeah. a classic uh, bust, bust situation. As uh, it's a relegation six pointer. There's a chuck, a battle. chuck all the cliches in. Eleventh <laughs> versus twelfth. That is 
Oh, oh dear. That's not going to be entertaining for anyone to watch. Uh, let's move across the city before we get on to the old firm clubs. We're going to drop into the championship quickly. Uh, Hearts welcome between the South to Tynecastle and blew the Dunhamers away, scoring six goals and getting a number of their key men back to some first-team action in the process. Graham Queen of the South are sat in ninth in the championship and have conceded more goals than any other team in the division. Did you expect anything less from this game? I didn't. Hearts are good for that league. Queen of the South are not, and that is the case. Uh, it's only really going to be one outcome. I watched Queen of the South play Inverness at home on the Friday before on television, and they were dreadful, and they didn't really improve this week. So six ones, not even surprising to me. So, Jamie, you were actually at this game, of course, covering it for Energy Sport as our Hearts correspondent, and despite there being uh, seven goals in the game, it was a fairly... An Oculus game, you did, you weren't too impressed by the entire situation, so what about this game made it such a mundane occasion, and a mundane just game to watch, despite the, the uh, fairly bountiful scoreline? I think, you know, you need to, I would look at Queen of the South, you know, like, Hearts played well, I scored six goals, but I would actually say that I was more impressed with Hearts the previous week at Capolo against Morton. I thought they worked a lot harder for the win. And I was just, a, at times in the second half at Capital last week, they played better better football than they did at any point on Saturday. They scored some really good goals against Queen of the South on Saturday, but the, a lot of them were kind of individual goals. So, you know, Josh Janelli's long-range strike, Stephen Naismith's long-range strike, Jamie Walker scored from distance as well. They were all individual goals. Whereas at Capital, it was more of a, a kind of team display and, and they played some kind of, they just played better football, I thought, at Capital the week before. Um, kind of more, better better moves, better team moves, you mm. know. Um, whereas kind of on Saturday, Queens were, were bad in the second half. I thought they were kind of in the game in the first half. Mm-hmm. Luke Naismith's goal broke the deadlock and, and it was a really good goal. And it looked like that, that was going to need to be the case. It was going to be a mistake or somebody was going to have to step forward to, to break the deadlock because Queen's had a game plan like most teams will that are going to come to think after the season in the, in the championship. They'll try and sit deep and play on the break and say to Hearts, all right, sound, come and, come and break us down if you if you think you can. And Naismith's goal got the ball rolling and uh, they scored you know a minute into stoppage time in the first half and then uh, you know in the opening minute of, of the second half, which ultimately killed off the game and killed off kind of Queen of the South, who were poor in the second half. The third goal knocked the stuffing out of them, and that's what I mean, kind of about like the fourth, fifth, and sixth goal. You know, it's like they didn't; they were all kind of they didn't really need. To, they were good goals, Walkers and, and Janelli's one, and, and Boyce cut it back for Freer, who just tapped it in. But it was poor from Queen of the South's point of view. So. You know, as much as it, the scoreline was suggesting it was a very impressive performance from Hearts, and it was, all right? You know, they scored six goals. So any yeah. team that goes and scores six goals, you have to give credit to, obviously. But I just think that it was a different performance from the previous weekend at Capital. Oh, no, I can completely uh, understand that. But I think the, the biggest positive, I think, from this game, especially from your perspective, is the fact that Josh and Ellie and Elliot Freer were back in amongst the squad, back in the goals. Uh, and that kind of basically means that Robbie Nielsen's more or less got everyone back, if I'm right, for Sunday's Scottish Cup final, of course, uh, getting played from last season after it was postponed due to the coronavirus pandemic. How confident do you think Nielsen and Hearts are going to be going into this Cup final, considering all the woes and the struggles that Celtic have faced over the past couple of weeks? 
I think they'll be focusing more on themselves. I think they have to. For me personally, the best Celtic performance I've watched this season was at Hamden against Aberdeen. Celtic do, apart from kind of like the old firm or possibly the kind of European games this season, I would normally associate Celtic with kind of turning up in the big games, especially mm. at the National Stadium. So, look, Robbie Nielsen and Hearts aren't going to underestimate Celtic. Um, they, they're not going to. They're going to expect Celtic to be at it, is what Robbie Nielsen said on Saturday after the game. Somebody asked him. You know, what do you, what, what do you think going into the weekend? And he said, you know, we need to expect Celtic to be at it. They're right. going for a, a quadruple treble and all that, obviously, as we know. So uh, I think they need to focus on themselves. They've just scored six goals. It's great to have Josh Ginelli back. Um, he's going to have, obviously, a week now of training to hopefully get himself up to up to full fitness um, or at least closer to it than, than he was prior to, to Saturday's game. Hearts are just a different team when he's in it. They're just so mm-hmm. much better when he's in it. He provides... Just pace and quality, which, to be honest with you, Elliot Freer, Jordan Roberts, they, they just don't have. You know, Ginelli's just a better player. It's, uh, it's as simple as that, really. So if Ginelli plays on, on uh, Sunday, then Hearts have got a much better chance than if he does not. No, I can, I can completely agree. I think from kind of my limited viewing of Hearts last season, I can definitely understand that it was a, it was a position that they were sorely lacking in in terms of uh, their width and their creativity out wide. And I think uh, Josh Dinelli, from what I've seen of him this season, does provide that spark that was missing a lot of the time last season. And it could be a very, very interesting game if he gets a substantial amount of play time on Sunday at Hamden. But Hearts, of course, are set to face the quadruple treble chasing Celtic, uh, with the Glasgow club struggles being very well documented over the past few weeks. But Sunday's match against Kilmarnock was a bit of a better showing from the league champions. After impressing in their last Europa League tie against Kelly, Neil Lennon chose to stick with the youth of Connor Hazard, Ismail Asoro and David Turnbull as they saw a 2-0 win over Kelly at home. Struan, surely this is a step in the right direction from, uh, for Neil Lennon. He's been under a lot of criticism recently for having uh, player bias to the likes of Scott Brown who a lot of people just struggle to see what he offers now. But surely showing the faith and keeping a player like Soro in instead of Brown is what Neil Lennon needs to be doing now. He needs to be adapting his team, adapting his uh, starting squad to be able to deal with uh, the run of fixtures and the teams that he's coming up against. Yeah, I think it was quite brave to give the likes of Turnbull, Sorrow, and even Connor Hazard and goal the chance, especially after the season that they've had and the really good performance in the Europa League. I think we see it quite a lot with managers where when youngsters impress in what you would call you know, the lower league competitions, like your League Cups, etc., they're not often rewarded when it comes to the big games, but it was nice to see them getting that chance, and it did go very well for them to the point now. There's talk of a new contract for Hazard, which is quite incredible given $4.5 million on Barkas in the summer. And you could three, argue three that was the half, third actually, choice. Was it, was it three and a half, sorry? Was it four and a half? Maybe it was. I don't know. Sorry if it was, but I thought it was three point something. A lot of money anyway for yeah. what, what yeah. potentially could now be Celtic's third choice keeper, which I think... <laughs> kind of fits into my narrative of some poor signings recently. But yeah, I think I think it was a really good uh, result for Celtic, step in the right direction. And hopefully the youngsters do keep getting their, their opportunities because we've seen this time, you know, Christie, Scott Brown especially, they've had so many opportunities this season and they're just not repaying the faith to the manager in any way whatsoever. Uh, Graham, Sunday's going to see Celtic uh, challenge for that quadruple treble and it's the last treble he'll be able to, com- to complete consecutively. Of course, after they were dumped out of the League Cup, or the Betfred Cup rather, uh, this year by Ross County at home. Uh, 
the, it was the last time that Celtic faced Hearts in the Cup final, Neil Lennon was offered the job in the showers, and it would be fairly poetic if he <laughs> lost his job in the showers after losing this final. If he does do so, uh, do you see any realism in the fact that he could end up getting the sack if Celtic lose on Sunday? No, he's, they've already come out and said that he's getting until the new year, regardless of results. So I don't see that changing, if, even if they don't win the cup on Sunday. I think he's there until 2021. But is that not what they've kept him for? So, like, they've, they've, they, you know, they've, released, they've, they've released, until the they've, new released year, a, they've released a statement saying they're keeping him for 2021. I don't think they go back on that statement if they lose the cup on Sunday. But does that not just mean they could sack him on the 1st of January? Possibly. Or did they mean... But, like, they, so that's what I mean, like, they, they're keeping him for this game. I think, and this I, think is his... a, I think it's a silly thing to say, but they've said, they've said he's got until next, some point next year, even if it's the 1st of January, yeah. but it's still the cup final and three more league games in between. So I don't think the actual mm. outcome of the cup, the cup, cup final maybe, oh, that was, that was the last straw, but he's going to, he's not going like, to go in the showers afterwards and Lola's not going to come in, smack his bottom and be like, oh, the time's up, Neil. <laughs> Just I, I personally think he'll get to the next old farm at least. I, I mean, the next old farm is the 2nd of January. So, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they're probably going to give him, if he, if he loses that. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. When they, if he loses that, I think that's intentional when they release that statement. It's like, well, until the new year. If they win that game, he gets more time. If they lose it, he's gone. I think that's. I think it's that simple. Unless yeah. he lost all the games between now and that game, and he, would go, he would go. He's got to play farm. Ross County, Hamilton and Dundee United. So they're not going to lose all three. They're not losing all three. He hasn't no. to the old firm, and then I think if he loses the old firm, he goes. I think it's quite simple. I think it's now become quite simple. Because it's a difficult double header at the start of twenty twenty one because they've got uh, Celtic have got Rangers in the first in that old firm, and then Hibs at home uh, the week after. So, well, but they got a, they got a couple of days to go to Dubai for and got the game moved for no fucking reason. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, because they just decided they didn't want to play it then. And they felt like, sure guys, so, okay. <laughs> I've said no, day, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who's, that, who, who's that your impression of the edge of the entire SPFL? Yes, Doncaster. It's exactly what your Doncaster sounds okay, like. Okay, Peter, be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> We should go to the pub for pints if lockdown wasn't in order. <laughs> Can you imagine a day at the pub with Neil Doncaster and Peter Law? I know I've got glass glasses, but Neil Doncaster is especially specky. <laughs> <laughs> Just how specky is Neil well, Doncaster? There are people that have glasses and there are people that are specky. And Neil Doncaster is specky. Yeah. yeah I can't you. disagree. I, I can't disagree. Jamie's got glasses as well and... He's back in yeah. Jamie, see, Jamie's got glasses. Jamie's not specky. I can, I can get specky. <laughs> most of, like, you can definitely you can cross the line. Neil Doncaster is forever specky. Yeah, he's very specky. I can't, I can't argue it. I genuinely cannot argue it. I th- yeah, let, let's stop talking about Celtic before we start making any other bold claims. We know what da- we know what Graham gets like when talking about managers and pints. <laughs> I was no pints. Oh no. <laughs> uh, we'll take a quick look at the other side of Glasgow before we move our focus down south. Uh, Rangers actually picked up two victories this weekend, lads. Uh, not only did their men's side pick up all three points in a fairly hard fought 2 1 victory over Dundee United, in which James Tavernier scored yet another goal, and it was an absolute peach of a free kick to open the scoring. Uh, but the women's team absolutely battered uh, the 13 time league champions, Glasgow City in a 5-0 scoreline at Broadwood to move to the top of the SWPL1 for the first time this season. 
Struan, uh, uh, me and you haven't followed Alabama's football in Scotland fairly closely, having uh, done our work for Hibs. But how much did this result kind of come as a shock to you? Oh, I thought it was absolutely crazy. I, I remember you <laughs> telling my parents at the time, and my mum was shocked as well. It's just if you've been following the the Scottish Women's Premier League, you'll see that you know Glasgow City tend to win just about every single game, and you know we we've spoken a few times about Rangers and Celtic are gonna are gradually moving up, you know, in the last couple of, last season before it was cancelled, we thought they'd have a much better season, but to win Aye. 5-0 is just absolutely incredible. Just, just it's, it's, it's crazy, to be honest, just how good Glasgow City still are this season, and then for Rangers to go and win 5-0, I think it's massive, and I think, in a way, I think it's very good for the competitive yeah. side, because I think a lot of people just sort of brush it off now and think, well, it's just going to be Glasgow City again, isn't it? You know, But I think this is a really strong result. And I think it, you know Rangers have had quite a few strong results. The last-minute winner with, against Hibs as well, I think, was massive. So, yeah, yeah I think they're going to have a very good season. And uh, Is this not like the end of it, though? So, like, you say, um, people kind of say, oh, it's, it's, all, uh, it's all Glasgow City, and it has been, obviously, in previous years, but... Now, going, this is all from my view from the terrace. I've got all my women's football knowledge from there. <laughs> um, they seem to be saying that Rangers and Celtic are kind of signing Glasgow City's star players and that the tide is kind of mm-hmm. turning. So is this like is this the end for Glasgow City then? You say it's good for the competitiveness, but does this not just mean that it's going to turn into just Rangers and Celtic? Like, is it I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't say, say the so, end. No. But I, think, I would say yeah. this is probably one of those results that maybe in five, six years' time you look back on and think, yeah, that was a turning point. Turning that was, that was a turning point. That was right. when Rangers and Celtic started their dominance in the Women's League right. as well. Because they, right. it's, it's been well known just amongst women's football in Scotland that Celtic and Rangers have committed a lot more funds to the women's team in the last year, the last 18 months or so, just because they do want to have that growing involvement in the women's game and start that period of dominance in Scottish football. But I think Glasgow City have just been such a driving force and such a ever-present uh, feet are fixture at the top of the table, I don't think they're going to go away without a fight. I mean, Scott Booth has done an excellent job as manager of Glasgow City, and I don't think he's going to take it too kindly to just kind of being toppled from his pedestal uh, just so easily. And we've seen, we've seen that. I mean, they did uh, really well to get the result against Celtic earlier in the season, did City, and had a very good, very good uh, performance at home to Hibs in that 3-2 victory as well. Who have been their closest rivals throughout the last few years? So, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I think it does make it more competitive, but I can definitely see why people would uh, believe that this could be potentially uh, Rangers and Celtic just kind of stealing the stealing City's uh, thunder by stealing their players as well. But who knows? Who knows? It's it's interesting. There's going to be a, a break, a winter break for women's football now. Uh, there's no not going to be any. Uh, fixtures in women's football in Scotland until the 13th of January if I'm right I could be completely wrong with that in terms of my dates but round, round about kind of mid-January that's when women's football can uh, reappear 17th I so, believe aye that's it aye, well, aye that sounds right that yeah that same Sunday that precedes our first week back at university of course uh, mm. mm-hmm. thanks for that holiday <laughs> with that we're, we're not going to get bogged down in that reminder of the fact that we actually need to go back to university at some point we're going to move our focus down to the action in the Premier League from this weekend and for the fans of the big teams it was not a nice weekend at all uh, each of the big six drop, po- drop points but we're going to start with Chelsea Jamie they lost 1-0 away to Everton after Edward Mendy fouled DCL allowing uh, Gelfie-Sigas Dominic Calvert-Lewin for those uneducated don't know why I abbreviated his name that quickly yeah I was yeah I was those who haven't texted his name. 
<laughs> I, I'd written in my notes DCL and I just kind of automatically just kind of was reading the notes as I was going. Uh, it allowed Gelfie Sigurdsson to slot the penalty past Mendy and that was the only goal of the game. Was this our fault, Jamie, for speaking so poorly about Everton on Friday's episode of the Ramble? Or was it as we, as you mentioned at the time, was this just Everton due a result? Both. Fair enough. Um, I, I said on Friday I wouldn't be surprised if Everton yeah. got a result. Um, just because, I, you know, I, I just said they were shit on Friday, basically. And, yeah. and you know, they have been. They have been poor. Agreed. Chelsea had, you know, 70, 72% of the possession or something, I think, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I think we hit the post twice. So, look, on another day, you know, we, we probably would have... We shouldn't have lost the game. We probably didn't do enough to win it for me. But I think a draw was probably a fair result. And, uh, you know, if that game was 1-1, you probably wouldn't have heard too many complaints from me come now after seeing the kind of rest of the rest of the results in the mm. end. But it's it's a kind of annoying defeat to take, considering the, the, the results elsewhere. And obviously a tough game tomorrow night as well now. So, yeah, you know, Wolves didn't didn't look great and haven't looked really very good for a couple of weeks now, really, ever since they, they went and uh, beat Arsenal. Um, so that'll be an interesting game tomorrow night. Yeah, um, good opportunity. Good opportunity for Chelsea to bounce back though against the Wolves side who are obviously missing the main man, Raul Jimenez. Um, but I, I, yeah, I still stand by what I said about Everton. Um, I'm not actually sure who they've got next, but I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, they return to a bit of a slump. And you know whether you want to put the fans' angle on it and say that you know having fans back in. Goodison, you know, mm. help the help the team as well. I think is possibly a, a valid point as well. You could say the same for for Crystal Palace as well. I said that two weeks before North London Derby weekend. I said that I didn't think two thousand fans would have an impact, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely thought they did, did in that yeah. game. I thought you could you could definitely feel that the players were given more because the fans were there and because the fans made a decent for the permanent who few that have done the way made a decent noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, uh, and it's something that the London clubs are going to have to go without again because London's getting thrown back into tier three of the English uh, coronavirus uh, tier system. So no fans in grounds in London for a for a wee while yet. Uh, it's Leicester that Everton right. have uh, on Wednesday night, Jamie. So that's right. Yeah, that's right. Fairly tricky game for them as well. That could be a fairly entertaining one. One that might get mentioned on the ramble potentially, but. I'm I'm not mm. in control of that this week, boys. Mm. <laughs> big change, big change. I'm giving spoiler it up. alert. I've been sacked. The boys have sacked me, boys. <laughs> uh, Struan, it was another game that uh, really did not show the best of Kai Havertz's footballing capabilities. Uh, played out of position once again with Hakim Ziyech being missing through injury, so played out in the right wing and just did not look on it whatsoever. Uh, should Chelsea fans really be worried by the lack of quality and habits of performances at the moment, or is it still just that? Can can we even call it an adjustment period now? I mean, we're this twelve games into a full season in the Premier League now, and yes, he did miss a couple of those games because he had contracted coronavirus. But surely there's only so much he can attribute to an adjustment period when he's one of the highest he's highest out today young players in European football. I th- I think yes and no. You like. No, in the sense that he will become better. You know, he's he's still adjusting to the game. He's only twenty one. He's he's got plenty of time to develop. But I think for the point that, as you said, he's playing out of position. You know, why is the seventy two million pound player the one who has to play out of position? Especially when we've seen Mason Mount play on the wings a couple of times this season, and you know, people have you know he's he's not done too badly, but people questioned it. I don't see why 
it's Kai Havertz who's the one who sort of has to sacrifice himself to fit into that, especially given the current um, situation with the team. And I suppose you would hope for a bit of a better performance, or at least some more involvement, but it, it will definitely come. I don't think he was the the sole bad player for Chelsea in that game. I think a few others have need to, needed to step up in that front line. But yeah, I think there is cause to be worried, but at the same time, you know, in three months' time, he could have scored plenty of goals, gotten assists, and it all be forgotten about by that time. Well, my fingers are crossed. Uh, Graham, earlier that night, one of the most boring Manchester derbies of all time played out at Old Trafford, uh, with just very little for us to actually mention about the game itself because nothing happened. How bored were you throughout this 90 minutes, which felt like 180 by the time it was over? Yeah, it was so disappointing. I was actually really looking forward to watching it. I think Manchester derbies have been good in uh, recent seasons, but this one just wasn't one of them. So I think what we should do, can kind of, kind of ask the bigger question about it, and that is that you mentioned the big section of them one. I think there's tremendous amounts of fatigue amongst those squads. I mean, mm. all, all, all six of them are in Europe, and have play, been in Europe essentially playing Saturday, Wednesday for six weeks, and I think on Saturday, Man City, man, you were so fatigued that none of them, I think... I think both of them are just happy to take a point and go off the pitch, mm. and it's been a, it's I said been that the, the case, and it's been the case with uh, so many of the big games between those teams this season, and I, I, I'm not really blaming them at all. I think there's, there's a lack of quality, but I'm not saying like, I thought oh, it's the the league quality is going down. I just think that it was such a quick turnaround, and there's so much football rammed into this jam-packed schedule that I think it's very very clear that. It's just there's no quality at the top and there's teams benefiting from that that aren't in Europe. No, I do, I do agree. I mean, it's kind of why we see a team like Southampton for as well as they've mm-hmm. played, like sitting in third at the moment. Uh, but I mean, there, there was a lot of other kind of con- uh, people contesting this game purely for the fact that it just seemed friendly. Like, it just seemed like so just kind of happy to have kind of walked away with a point each, just kind of shared the spoils. I mean... I think Harry Maguire was hugging John Stones throughout the game. <laughs> uh, Guardiola, I think, after the game was quoted to say, it's a good point, it's Manchester United. So he, he was full of praise, clearly. He was, say, he was basically commending how they press, how they move, how they just play their football. But, I mean, as, as well as the fatigue, like for a game like this, does almost like a lack of animosity in the fixture reduce the excitement factor and what actually happens on the pitch? Obviously, heated games don't mean good performances are good outcomes but especially when we know how kind of English derbies can play out we've seen some unbelievable derbies play over the years does does this kind of friendly nature to it almost kind of take away from the uh, kind of how attractive it comes across I think in my immediate reaction after the game I kind of I thought yes I agree with you but I think ultimately that it's just a reaction we take from the from the old age I mean, I think if, if this game was 3-3 and Harry Maguire and John Stones hugged after the game, are we talking about it? No, and there have been exciting Man- Manchester derbies where I'm pretty sure Harry Maguire and John Stones have probably been very friendly afterwards. I think it's just this idea, I think there's this idea that the games have to be heated to be good and I don't think that's the case anymore. It, it just, it was a poor, it was a poor game this one and because two, two blokes that are pals hugged each other, which I think it's, it's a bit weird, it is a bit strange. But I don't think that that animosity really affected the result of the game. Yeah, I think we, we were talking at the time when the lineup 
lineups came out, Jack, and we were kind of pointing out the fact that both Fernandinho and Rodri were playing, and neither of them were actually in the back four. Yeah, I was which I think kind of speaks volumes for City, City that you know when have you ever seen City play two holding midfielders? And it's the second time that a team's come to Old Trafford and set up very defensively, and the Chelsea being the other one. And I think it just kind of shows, as Graham's saying, a lot of these big six clashes. It's take a point. You know, we saw it against in the Man United, sorry, yeah. the Man City Liverpool game. Both teams basically swapped to four four two at half time, and that was it. Chelsea Spurs as well. It was Chelsea Spurs is another one. Yeah, I think it's just been Chelsea so often, had the ball, you know. but weren't moving it. Spurs were just happy to sit back and do very little. I mean, do, do you think that is just a case like Graham made the point over the weekend, and I think that kind of has developed into a sense that the big six teams are just feeling that, just fatigue and that, just they just get tired legs throughout the squad because of the fixture congestion. I know a lot of a lot has been said about. Uh, Liverpool and their injuries and how Klopp's reacted to the schedule and kind of how that's been documented, but it's it's not just it's not just Liverpool at the end of the day. We're we're seeing it, and Graham's made a very good point in saying that. So no, I do, I do agree with that. I think it does take away from the excitement of these big games when you know that these teams have another two games potentially to play that week. It's almost like you know a win a win is great, but a loss is just devastating, especially with how mm. tight and and just strange. This current um, season is, you know, West Ham are five points off the top of the league under David Moyes, and we're we're in December. You know, it's you know, Ars- Arsenal are in a relegation battle. It's, it's it's absolutely crazy to the point where it's like, you know, a victory is good, but if you lose to one of the top six teams, you know, you, you genuinely don't know if you can get those points back because yeah. although you might beat Man City at the weekend, you then lose to Crystal Palace the next, and it's it's just a bit crazy at the moment. It really is crazy, and you highlighted one point in that in that wee slew there that is potentially the craziest of all and I'm going to speak to Jamie about this point because he said to me earlier when I was trying to round some people up for this for the round up itself uh, that he was going to come on he was only going to come on if if one certain thing happened and it did because Arsenal lost to Burnley at home last night Aubameyang got his score in touch finally but it just mm. so happened that uh, he scored for Burnley and not Arsenal so Probably not what Mikel Arteta told him to go out and do. But, I mean, I, I don't think they are in a relegation scrap. I mean, on paper it might look like that, but... Jamie, just how bad are they just now? Well, they've not won any of their last five games in the league. Um, Fulham and West Brom and Burnley and Brighton have all won in their last five. So, on form... They are in a relegation battle. Just uh, having watched Hearts last season, um, <laughs> I can tell you that this whole "oh, they're too good to go down" is uh, is a lot of shite. If you want to compare <laughs> Hearts Hearts to Arsenal, then uh, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I think that the, the um, as I say, I think that the cliche that you're you're too good to go down is is a lot of rubbish. So mm. uh, I think uh, I think you would be foolish with the results that are happening this season to suggest that Arsenal are not in a relegation battle. Um, last night... Well, I mean, what can you say about last night? You know, like... Bad. They didn't... It was really funny. Well, to be fair, Arsenal uh, weren't actually that bad last night. Yeah, they were. <laughs> they had their chances. They were good they were for Arsenal this season. They were a better team against Burnley before Strecker got himself off for, yeah. <laughs> for reacting to his own tackle. <laughs> In his defence, he's only twenty-eight. You'll learn. 
He's yeah. not finished, he's only today. <laughs> he's the captain of his international side as well. Just, just He was the captain of his club side as well, and then that just okay. all seemed to collapse on itself, well, didn't I it? Get, I guess what I, something we should point out is it's that after the North London derby, Arteta said, something's not working, the players aren't performing, we have to make changes and do something differently. He picked the same team last night. Yeah, that's, I was actually <laughs> going to get on to the point. But in, in his defence, who else is he supposed to? It's not like he's got Cedric not, or not Socrates William. or Saliba or Ozil oh, that he can put in. Oh, wait, he's got all of those players, doesn't he? Oh, oh, yeah. <sighs> remember remember when they fought... Oh, I was going to say, remember when they thought Willian was, you know, a really good... He gave really three assists against and... Fulham and thought he was the next Lundberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he, he's, he's just a mid-30s <laughs> winger who's just there for a payday, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, come on. Do you really think Chelsea would give Arsenal, you know, a player if they, you know, if he was still half decent or still? No, it, go, it goes he's the other way. He's awful. <laughs> players, Arsenal players have got to Chelsea to get trophies. It's the other way about. Didn't Chelsea offer yeah. William a contract though? No. Oh, or, well, they, no. Or, no, they did. But he he wanted three years, and they would only give him one or two. Oh, yeah. oh he's got three hundred grand a week or something at Arsenal. I mean, it's worked out for him. Oh God. And uh, how, how many how many staff members had to lose a job for that one? Fifty five. Or was that Aubameyang's? That was Aubameyang's, I think. I think in Arteta's defence, which I don't think many people will be doing on any shows um, anytime soon, (laughs) I think think the signings he has made in Partey and Gabriel already look too good for that Arsenal side. Do they? Maybe not. I never noticed either. I think they've been okay. Partey's Partey's not played because he's been injured. But. I think party from what I've seen against party, you know, in the in the one no victory against United, party basically ran the show. Yeah, it basically made El Nani look good. Mm. You know, a lot of people were praising El Nani after that game, but I mean, I think <laughs> you can clearly see it was definitely because he was playing with Thomas Party in that midfield. And I think I suppose I'm more basing Gabriel. I'm doing a bit of a stat here, but just because he's he scored a few goals and he's won their Player of the Month a couple of times. But then again, winning Player of the Month on Arsenal's current form probably isn't that much of an achievement. Jack Wilshere would probably it, still win Player of the Month right now. Yeah, he's not even at the club. The defence has been a bit better as well. So, I, but yeah, they're, not, they're not getting they've absolutely hammered in these losses. They've sacrificed know. attacking quality for just defence. No, absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. Average defence. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. It's better than what it was, but it was terrible yeah. before. So it wasn't exactly hard to get like an Arsenal defence better by adding a good player. Or a better player. And- and Partey was at fault for one of the Spurs goals as well. So was it? Well, Arteta was at fault. He, he, he limped off, and uh, Arteta shoved him back then on. Then tried to come back on, and then tried to hobble, and then just turned around and walked off again. So it was it was him coming to the sideline and saying like, I I'm struggling. Arteta literally pushes yeah. him back onto the pitch. Just doesn't worry. I like that though. I like that though. That's. That's what I want from a manager. Say no, no, you're not coming off. Get back on. This is a derby. This is also yeah. this is also a manager hobbling off. Rest, rest injury from for David Luiz from a head collision by yeah, making yeah. him play the same half with blood still pouring in his head. David Luiz has yeah, not played the game of football since we, This was something that we spoke about on Friday on the Ramble as well. Yeah. So. Feel it, and obviously Graham mentioned it. I think on uh, on extra time about the potential of um, substitutes. For emergency concussion, concussions, and concu- concussion substitutes. Just Obviously, something I think we can all get on board with. I'm not sure yeah, it requires definitely. much, uh, much debate. What did you guys make of Patrice Evers' comment about Thierry Henry saw Jaka wearing Bearing in mind that already this season, uh, Patrice Evra has outed the Wilfred Zaha David Moyes daughter story. 
and has now uh, basically revealed this. I, game. I love Patrice Evers' role in Sky Sports as the biggest shit stirrer on the team. Uh, he, he's, he's absolutely, absolutely he's fantastic. He just speaks. There's no like. Mika Richards is the ball of energy. I ever knows absolutely nothing about doing like proper football analysis. Really, I don't think he has any clue. But he's so funny with some of the comments he makes, just talking an absolute shite. And me, he said after the all six one, he asked to quit Sky Sports yeah, on air. I've never seen anything more depressing in my life than him just sitting <laughs> in that studio asking for his contract to be ripped up live on air. <laughs> <laughs> What a guy. Can you, can you imagine uh, being Thierry Henry though, and you probably are watching that, and you're the club legend, and then you look at it from Shaka's point of view, and it's just like, yeah, probably the most famous player of, of, of this club in the Premier League history doesn't like me as a footballer. You, you, know, know, Thierry like, Henry, you know Thierry Henry in, uh, doing the leg touch to Carragher when, um, <laughs> when mm-hmm. it got announced Rogers gets sacked? His wife did that to him when Patrice <laughs> ever said that live on Sky Sports. I want to bring it back around just to the point that. Uh, we were making about him, st- uh, Arteta starting the same team. It's something that up here, <laughs> Neil Lennon's been criticised a lot yep. for and has been called to be sacked for the club for showing player bias. Why is Hector Bellingham still, play- still getting a start for Arsenal ahead of Cedric when he's been right. average at the best? There are so many questions like that, Jack. Why is Hector Bellingham starting? Why is Aubameyang, who you just gave 300 grand a week to, starting on the left so that he can accommodate a fat bum like Lacazette up top? <laughs> Why are they yeah. playing El Nene and Jaka as holding midfielders at home to Burnley? Yeah. <laughs> get the young, bo- their young boys in Europe have been great. Get a- Why not just start that Balogun boy? Balogun, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why not just like play Reece Joe Willett? Like Reece- just give them a chat. At this point, your season's gone. You're not going to get relegated. Your Arsenal are big enough. You can change manager if things get really rough. You aren't going down. Just ditch the bums, play the young boys. <laughs> If you could, you could make the comparison to Neil Lennon in the sense that both Arsenal and Celtic have been very poor this season for their standards. However, there's been the occasional good performance in the Europa League from the youngsters. Lennon showed the faith in them, and then they did turn up in the league, whereas Arteta's just stuck with the old. And it's it's almost like the same problem players who probably under memory were the same issues. You know, the likes of Bellerin, the likes of Xhaka. You know, people like William have almost just kind of added to being a new scapegoat in that team. Yeah, Bellerin is now suspended, though I believe. So uh, I think oh, in Arsenal, there was an offer from yeah, Wolves course, yeah. in the summer for Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who and Wolves million? then went on to spend thirty-seven million on Semedo. So they obviously had the money for a right back, and Arsenal held on to him because he'd had a good game of left wing back in like the FA Cup, and then he's barely played at all this season, as we've been saying. Even when Bellerin's playing bad, Bellerin is still playing. Why would you not take that money from Bell- uh, sorry, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and invest that where you clearly are lacking in the squad? There was so much talk if- about this big project at Arsenal under, under Arteta and he's going like, to mould the club with this new batch of youngsters coming through. Why is he not doing it then? Why, why, why is there being a question? Why, why is- I, I just, I'm in disbelief about, about Arsenal just now because I genuinely thought at the start of the season, this could be a real turning point for them and kind of getting out of their banter years. But they've just sunk even further into that sea of banter. <laughs> Genuinely, I can't even see them getting out of their drowning. I think as soon as Aubameyang has stopped performing, because in the FA Cup last season, which I think if he hadn't won the FA Cup, I genuinely think You're it gone. could be a second by now. I think that is very much what's keeping him in the job is the fact that he did bring that and the Community Shield. I think even if you take the Community Shield game, you know, it was Aubameyang's goals. 
I think last season, if you took away his goals, the Arsenal was 17th or something like it that. It definitely would have been an evaluation or something ridiculous that like that. And I know a lot of people always say, you know, oh, this person carries the team, you know, this person he saves them so many points this season. But it is generally being shown now that Aubameyang's in a really tough patch and nobody is coming in and stepping up. You know, nobody's coming anywhere near close to those goals. Something like Lacazette, Pepe, William, all these players you'd hope for. You know, Martinelli coming back will hopefully soften that in, in a but sense. There's so but there's so much an 18-year-old winger can do on his own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's really sad. And you talk about people like Nicol- uh, not Nicolas Pepe, sorry, um, no, yeah, Nicholas Pepe, one of the ones who's been sent off. You know, he's your seventy-two million pound signing. You want more from him, and it's almost like Bukayo Saka, who's eighteen, I think, I believe, as well. And he's he's the man who should be scoring the goals, and all this pressure's being put on him. And it's it's almost just like, where, where are these old level heads? You know, where are your leaders? Where's David Luiz? Where's Granite Xhaka? Where are these people who should be stepping up? You know, William. You know, your your thirty plus year olds should be grabbing this team by the scruff of the neck and pulling them through these bad results. You know, coming up with the moments of magic. And you can just see in that last game, Xhaka is getting himself sent off. You know, we've got VAR now. I don't know why you would react in that way, especially after Nicolas Pepe had the headbutt incident. You know, you'd have to think that they've had a long discussion and they've talked as a club, you know, don't do anything like this. We're in a really bad situation right now. Don't do not do anything stupid. And then the guy who used to be the captain of the club goes and does that. It's absolutely crazy. I just I just don't understand what, what's going on. I think they lack leadership massively. That's my point. Has Pepe got more red cards than goals in the league? He has one goal this season. I think he got it against Sheffield yeah. United. Eh? Was it Sheffield United? Yeah, I think that's I think his only so. goal this season. That's he scored in Europe, but I don't. I think that's his only league goal. I was going to say it'd be quite funny if they spent all that money and he's had more red cards than goals in the league. Shame. I think. I think <laughs> he, got, he sounded yeah. so. <laughs> you sounded so empathetic there, Jamie. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> I think the only excuse you could give Arteta from that as well is that these haven't exactly been quote unquote his signings. They're more more Emery and uh, Arsene Wenger towards the end. But at the same time, there's no excuse for that squad not beating Burnley. No. Or even Aston Villa, I would argue. I think you, you've got to look at player for player and think Arsenal should be doing much better than they currently are. And their next three games are Southampton, Everton, and Chelsea. Oh my! God. And on current form, I don't even see a point. Actually, in which case, I, I don't see how Arteta can survive. I really don't they'll, see beat, how... they'll end up beating Chelsea or something. They'll oh, yeah, come 100%. up with a big result. You know, we'll, they'll, they'll, we'll be, get... don't... <laughs> there'll be no Xhaka, so that actually might help them. Yeah. They may be forced to play the better midfielders now. I don't know Bellerin as well. Yeah. Anyway, I, th- I think we anything. could generally talk about the problems at Arsenal for an entire podcast in itself. But it would be an interesting podcast. I think it would be, yeah. Uh, maybe that's an idea just to be introspective on <laughs> each, team, each team at the turn of the year, just see how we're, how everybody's, how everybody's feeling. Ideas live on air. We love an, that. An, Ars- an Arsenal and Celtic podcast. <laughs> just put Raph and Amy into a room and just see what happens. Tears. <laughs> Tears and anger. That, that, that'd be the title of the podcast. Uh, just We'll have a quick mention on just two more games. I'll speak to Graham just briefly about them both just before we move on. Liverpool drawn away at Fulham. And I think at the time, Graham, you said that Fulham at one point were giving you guys a doing. So, so what, what was your take of that game at, at full time? Uh, Liverpool started awful. First 30 minutes, Fulham should have been out of sight. Uh, much improved Fulham team who have looked good good since they like, uh, went from Scott Parker, keeping the faith of the guys that got them up, and they've now started to actually play players that he signed, and they've looked much better. But Liverpool were dreadful. They improved 
with just before half time and in the second half they absolutely battered Fulham without creating too much Fulham kind of sat back and let them on to them got lucky with getting the penalty in what was a terribly officiated game there's no need to go into it though and snuck a point which they just about deserved but not mm. much more it was a poor performance and just like I, said, like I mentioned after Man City I think it's another team that just struggled struggling with to cope with the fitness right now Aye, I mean, aye, fitness has obviously been a massive role. We discussed that already. Uh, we'll we'll take a look at our our, our quote unquote second team, Graham, because we've kind of made that reputation our for ourselves. Boys. Our boys, Ralph's mad plucky Saints. We love them. They're sitting at third on the table after a three 0 win at home to Sheffield United, and there was footage of Ralph Hasenhutl genuinely like holding back tears of joy, like he was just that happy. He was so happy at full time. Me too, Jack. Me too. <laughs> It's great. I, I genuinely like, see, like seeing Southampton do it. They're such an inoffensive team. They're just full of nice guys. Danny Ings is a fantastic player and a lovely human being. It's nice to see players like James Ward-Prowse getting some really high recognition. Che Adams has, still, has started scoring and kind of potentially living up to that claim he made when he first signed. When he kind of joined Southampton and said, yeah, why can't we win the league? And people laughed at him. I'll, I'll not say who said it, but <laughs> it's turned around and saying, well, I'd like to say who's laughing now. Stay. <laughs> I'm not sure they'll win the league. But... No, they're not going to win the league. But uh, I, last year, no. when they, last year they <laughs> 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 who, last kn- year... who knows what's happened this season, man? It's generally messed yeah, up. Absolutely. Last absolutely. year, last year they were by Ings and Ward Prowse FC, but they've actually the contributions from all. Of, like, the reason yeah. they've improved is that they're getting a contribution from all over the pitch. Yannick Vestergaard is one of the most informed centre backs <laughs> in the league. He is. Yeah. You would have la- laughed at people if they said that. Uh, Oriel Romeo is just a stalwart in that team and he just what was Hoiberg's position at Spurs is now Romeo has nailed that down yeah definitely Armstrong, Armstrong has been fantastic go on Stewie just all like, the whole like all over the pitch they, ha- they have like a pretty complete team with options off the bench as well yeah and Walcott's t- turned up Merritt and he's not done <laughs> I thought that was a dead move but <laughs> I thought that was just like, a homecoming at the end of his career yeah, and Walcott's it is but he's class he's been effective like, it's just it's been such a, an impressive start. In fact, it was really actually a poor start the first two games, but they turned it around and they looked so good. And having, I think having the week the week off, there's like serious European aspirations for them. I don't know how, what kind of European level, but European aspirations for Southampton. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see I'd love to see Ralph go on a European tour. I th- I think he's a brilliant manager. I think he just has a way of instilling just a motivation and a mindset in these players and get them playing as a unit and get them playing as a team which is so important in these in a league like the Premier League to all all be working as a, as the one cohesive unit because we can often see when there isn't communication there isn't a lot of belief in each other and, your, and yourself that teams just kind of fade away and just don't get the results that they they, des- they deserve or they think they should have I mean I think case in point Brighton at points I see we say oh yeah they should, they're due a result they've been playing well but then you kind of see players like Mopai and and kind of Connolly not really caring as much and not really kind of putting in the same level of effort and they drop off because of that but Hasenhutl's generally got like everyone at 110% and he's maintaining that for however many weeks it's been now mm-hmm. and I genuinely back them to get a result against Arsenal midweek well, they're, oh, favorites. they're clear favourites for the game see even if Arsenal were on form I would fancy Southampton mm-hmm. I think I think they're brilliant they're such a good team yeah mm-hmm. 
and long may it continue. Top right. manager. <laughs> Top manager. We'll come on to the last ditch challenge, which uh, sees us try and cover everything else that we've missed over the weekend. Uh, the biggest news coming today, uh, we're recording this later on Monday night because of uh, work commitments from me. Um, <laughs> for, force the boys to stay up past our bedtime, so I feel bad. I'm going to be tired in the morning. Uh, obviously, Champions in Europa League draws, as we mentioned at the start of the episode. It's fair to say that uh, none of our teams get a favourable tie. Well, it's shafted. Aye, that, that, yeah, I was putting it nicely, you're right. Shafted the word. Uh, Chelsea are playing away in the first leg to Atletico Madrid. Uh, re- reuniting with uh, Diego Costa after a while. And uh, I think, hmm. was it the last time we played Atletico Madrid was the 2014 semi final? You don't play them in the group since then. Marathi we did, we did. Uh, 2017-18, we played Mar- them in the group. Marata scored the win at the Metropolitano. Was it Marata? Was it Batshuayi? Batshuayi got the win in one of them. Hmm? I think Batshuayi then, maybe I thought it was Marata. I remember, I was in halls at the time and I went sprinting not, up and down my hallway. <laughs> no, it's definitely not important considering where both those strikers are now. But, um, yeah, so that's the Chelsea draw. Manchester United dropped into the Europa League. Just make that point, Strun. And <laughs> in a very difficult group, an incredibly <sighs> difficult group. Mate, you lost to Istanbul. Yeah, you lost. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Turkish champions. Oh, shut up, man! <laughs> you instantly get hit with one of the hardest uh, draws that you could have faced from the Europa League teams, having to play Real Sociedad, who are one of the most informed teams in. Spain. They sit top. They sit above Atletico Madrid at the top of the Spanish league. Uh, only having lost once with David Silva really transforming that team. I'll be hoping to provide Manchester United with another doing as he has done during his time at City. And Liverpool got Leipzig, which is just difficult. Like there's just, there's just no way Leipzig is going to be an easy game. We know how good they are in the Champions League and have been the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it, Graham? It's a very, very tough game. It's probably, other than Atletico, it's probably the team I'd wanted least. I wanted the least because I think they are the best team. I think they're better than Barcelona. I would still take them over Atletico because I think the style fits, suits Liverpool. Yeah, it does. But yeah. So I think a game against Gladbach or Lazio would have been kind of kind of straightforward. Leipzig certainly not there on a top side, and I'm a little bit worried, but I'm still confident that Liverpool can go through. I'm not confident Chelsea are going through, boys. Not, not going to lie. That, that's Jamie. Uh, uh, have you got any confidence? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Atletico are particularly bonny on the eye to watch. I believe. Um, you know, you you kind of know what you're going to come up against when you play Atletico. So, you know, I would like to think that Lampard would be able to kind of get to grips with. Kind of what Simeone's going to throw at him. I think I'm not really sure how they've how they've been getting on actually in the in the league campaign. Lost um, one. you mentioned right. I was going to say obviously there you mentioned that, that Sociedad were were top of the league and uh, they lost second. to what yeah. Real. Just I lost them to Derby, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Uh, fair enough. Well, you look, we know they're no mugs, but I would like to think that obviously that they're not the most. Um, they're quite one-dimensional. You kind of know what to expect. So they'll, they'll I think never blow, for sorry, they'll never blow you away, but you'll probably never blow them away either. No, it's it's a yeah. very, it's I mean, a very they, hard con- team to move. They've conceded four goals in the league this season, so you know it's it's um, it's going to be obviously a, a tough oh, a tough time. No. But uh, 
yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it'll be a classic, to be honest. No, it's I'm not, not sure going to be. be... I, I don't. Ha- I don't have high hopes for that game in terms of entertainment value. Yeah, quality wise. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think, no, I think we'll sneak it. The, the, the one thing I'm seeing though, anytime a team's kind of set up defensively against Chelsea, just we've not been able to find a way to break them down. Like you think, as Spurs and United were quite defensive against us, we couldn't find a way through there, and just two of nil nils, and. Ah, just no faith to be honest <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm getting to be a very pessimistic fan I'm surprised at that prediction to be honest um, it's I not going to be good draw, but... I think 1-1 one, one away from home and, uh, and we'll win at home 1-0 or something Jesus. Be close, be when Kai Havertz steps up I, I, I admire your optimism mate I wish I had some of my own to be honest Struan how are you feeling Europa League now different competition different kettle of fish altogether yeah, I think it's a very, very competitive one. I think Graham's stat that he came, uh, uh, put in the group chat earlier on, I think ah, that's yeah, incredible uh-huh. that there's 15 league leaders in the Europa League and none in the Champions League at the moment, which I think also just ties into how crazy this um, this season has been. You know, Real Sociedad, Tottenham, Lille, Leverkusen and um, AC Milan are the top of the five leagues at the moment. Mm. AC Milan doesn't really seem out of place there, but all being in the Europa League, I think there's some really good um, ties in there. I think Arsenal-Benfica will be a really good yeah. game, I think. I think Man United, uh, Real Sociedad's got a lot written in it. You know, ex-players like Hadnan Yanaza as well as underlying narratives to that, and just another away David Moyes from... Derby. Sorry, it's another David Moyes Derby. It is, yeah, it's another David Moyes Derby. I'm loving them, um, <laughs> and out, out with the UK teams, you know, Ajax Lille, I think will be a fantastic game to be honest. So, yeah, I think there's some really good ties in it. I think the Europa League in the group stage, I can understand why it gets a lot of criticism and why people don't really see much about it but once you get to this stage I think you can you, you could say you know the quality is much much better you yeah. know there's teams from the Champions League dropping in and I think by this stage I think it does become what I would call watchable other than that you know I personally I watched the Scotland teams uh, matches in the Europa League this season but I, I never watched a minute of any of the other ones to be just just didn't find it as interesting because you see a lot of team rotation but in this stage I think it will be a lot more competitive no, I'm not, as, yeah. as for Man United to your original question sorry um I think it'll just be a determination of what uh, Solskjaer's priority is this season, depending on the league position. Truth, you know, yeah. what do you strengthen? Do you to put all out in the Europa League to go for a cup, or do you play it safe and continue the league, especially with how difficult the top four looks to be this season, or do you try and find somewhat of a balance in there? But yeah, I think I think it's actually a good tie. I'm looking forward to it. I'd rather get something a little bit more interesting. But you know, I think United's ties this season have been pretty incredible in European competition. That somehow United you know, have probably had a harder tie in the Europa League than what Man City have had in the Champions League. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. Like You knew City yeah. were going to get a, a glad back in the... I believe I said it in the 16. chat that City will get an easy draw before it actually happened and then... But Gladbach given Gladbach's form in the Champions League, I, w- I, wouldn't surpri- I wouldn't be surprised to see them sneak a result, to be honest. Mm, I could yeah. see it. Well, I think over two legs, I think City will have it. I yeah, think I think a one-off one one off Gladbach might have been able to get the, get the result, but aye, I can see your point. No, I think City aren't that good this season. I definitely think there's more glam- there's more interesting ties in Europa League. I mean, Spurs have got a massively favourable tie for Jose Mourinho in terms of play- they're playing Wolfsberger, and that's going to really help them maintain kind of focus on the league and still let them rotate, especially in the early round. Uh, I think Kiev Club Brewers could be quite interesting. Benfica Arsenal, as you already said, uh, the dream draw for Benfica, surely. <laughs> after our club, absolutely. Olympiacos, PSV, and Lille Ajax are two brilliant games. So, so Salzburg will yeah. It's a good game. Mm, definitely. And Dynamo yeah. KF Club Bruges is two teams that come down from the Champions League getting matched against each other. Yep, there you go. Braga and Roma as well. Has that been mentioned? That's Braga, Roma. A couple yeah. of 
couple of decent teams there as well. Uh, Graham, of course, uh, Royal Antwerp are hosting Rangers. So how, how are you feeling about that one? Confident, good. I think that's almost as good a draw, a, a draw as Rangers could get. Antwerp are no pushovers. Of course, they beat Spurs, but we they are equal in points with Standard Edge in their league, and we beat Standard Edge reasonably comfortably without playing our mm. best in either of the two games against them. So it's certainly one of the best ties we could have got. And you've mentioned all the good ties that are there. I think that suits Rangers too. That would not hopefully that will knock some good teams out. Yeah, and if they can get through, I wouldn't want to look too far past. We have to get through Antwerp. It's not going to be easy. But if some of those teams can get knocked out, it might lead a favourable draw in the round of 16, which is more money, more progress. I'm, I'm having a look at potential potential opposition. I mean, you would take maybe one of... I recognise the badge, I don't recognise Krasnodar. Who are Krasnodar playing? Zagreb. Zagreb, thank you. You, you, would, you, would, ha- you would take one of them, surely. There's, there's plenty there you take, depending on results. I don't, I don't really think there's any team to massively fear, if I'm a Rangers fan at this point. Not, I don't even fear... I think the PS. I don't fear team. I don't fear Ajax. I don't. Fear, I don't think Ajax would absolutely hammer us. Don't. I don't fear any of the English teams apart from. In fact, not even Spurs to be honest with you. Really? Wow. I, I think they beat us, but I don't think Mourinho's style plays a team that absolutely hammers teams. I think Rangers True. can stick around. There's no teams in there. I think Rangers who get absolutely battered off. Mm. Of. Nah, definitely not. And Agreed. so that for that, there's no reason to not be confident about the last thirty-two and potentially beyond. Lovely stuff. Uh, round of 16, the Champions League draw was a lot less entertaining. I mean, tie of the round, surely, Barcelona PSG, you would yep. have to say. Uh, so. Hipster, hipster pick, definitely Sevilla Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund don't know, really know what's going to happen to them because Lucien Favre has been sacked. Uh, Dortmund lost 5-1 at home to Stuttgart at the weekend and Favre get the boot straight away. Could we see Pochettino managing again this soon? Potential, potential replacement. Strain, how are you feeling about that one? Well, Dortmund are going to stick with their assistant coach to the end of the season, so... Oh, is that what they've said? Yeah, so it won't be... Well, that's ah. that's that's the word on the street, as they say, so... <laughs> I don't think it'll be much... I genuinely... How like, old did you sound? <laughs> I think I'm the youngest one here as well, haven't I? Uh, that's awkward. Yeah. So, um, I genuinely don't think Pochettino would take a job like Dortmund. And the reason being is, in the Bundesliga, they tend to stick almost with managers who, who do it in the Bundesliga. I know that sounds a bit stupid to say, but there's been talk of uh, Rose, who's the current Gladbach manager, taking over there yeah. as well. And I don't know why, but I just feel for Pochettino and for whoever takes over that Dortmund job, there's a massive, massive mountain in Bayern Munich are the best side in Europe, and you've got to beat them. You know, they've won uh, eight league titles in a row. Whoever's coming in there has got an absolutely massive job to, mm. to take over. So I really? think it'll be quite difficult and there's also the aspect of you know I think it's a really difficult position at the moment because you star players you know like Royce and Hummels are getting on a bit your young players like Jaden Sancho Erling Haaland they're probably going to be leaving the club within a year or two so there comes the element of replacing them and other ones and I think I think it's just a very difficult job to take over whoever is going to step into the shoes so I think it's really I appealing think... to be honest with you oh yeah, yeah massively you have you have one like the best fan bases in the world when stadiums are full, 
you have one of the best young Scott. There's so much young talent in that team. Managers love working with young teams. Yeah, young definitely. I said young teams. <laughs> young talent. That's <laughs> <laughs> so your bias is coming uh, in again, Graham. There is a Pochettino street to be fed, Valpinion. Uh, you have, you have, I think there's like so many young players there that Ello Haaland and Sancho might leave. There's so many. Gio Reyna, Yusuf Makoko, like there's Bellingham. a lot of highly talented yeah, like players. Bellingham. So much, I think it's a really, really appealing job. Yeah, I think it's appealing, but it is very challenging. It's challenging, but I don't think managers want. Well, that is maybe makes it more appealing to be. I don't think exactly. managers want easy jobs. Hundred percent. Just want to be challenged and want to earn what earn it through. They're working hard and improving their teams. Hundred uh, percent. We're just going to touch on one subject just before we wrap up. Uh, there were news today breaking that uh, the legendary Liverpool manager uh, Gerard Houllier, uh has passed away at the age of seventy-three. Graham, uh, you'll be the best man to talk to about uh, Julio. Just what's what sort of a manager was he? Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that Liverpool. He is the starting point for where Liverpool are today. Uh, I know they've had their troubles Liverpool in between Julio and Klopp, but mm. the team won two competitions in the nineties and really, really, really struggled after Hillsborough. It wasn't until Hooley came in towards the end of the decade that things started to actually improve. Mm. He gave a chance to so many youngsters that you you know the name of to Murphy to, to Gerard Carragher, Michael Owen, Danny Murphy, won a treble, won the Super Cup the year after, mm-hmm. challenged for a couple of league titles. But more importantly, the personality of the guy is what shines through. Yeah. He was such a he was a man manager, such a nice person. You see today how many tributes have been paid. It just, I said to you guys before the podcast, it seems just to me like there's been so many more than normal when yeah, there's been a someone lot. That dies in football. For a guy that, like, we've talked Maradona, Maradona is a world-renowned player who really managed Liverpool and his friends. He wasn't, he isn't an, a, a, a mythic figure. He was just a normal bloke, nice bloke, easy to get along with. He was a fantastic football manager. Um, for many teams, and I, I focus more on Liverpool because that's my team. Mm. But just sad he's gone. Aye, definitely a massive loss to the football world, and we would like to wish our condolences to his family in this time. Uh, that is going to be all from us on the football roundup this week. We want to say a massive thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the Energy Sport podcast feed wherever you get yours and follow us over on Twitter at ENRG Sport. To keep up to date with all of our sports content, we are staying busy over the winter period. We'll have content like we'll have content through podcast articles, match reports, all that sort of stuff coming out over the winter break. So you can be rest assured that we are going to be kept busy during our time off. Uh, thanks very much to Struan. Uh, Graham and Jamie for joining me tonight uh, make sure to check it extra time later in the week and a double bill of the fancy ramble Graham is taking up hosting duties uh, this, this will be going up on Tuesday so later today so be sure to head over to at fancy ramble on Twitter to uh, get that episode as soon as it drops to listen to the first episode of the show ever without me on it and, and, I, and I don't, I'm not happy I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sad let's get fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'll be I'll be back later in, in the week to potentially put out any fires that might <laughs> get brought up tomorrow. Although I'm sure Graham is going to do a fantastic job. Uh, until I see you next, I've been Jack Donnelly. This has been uh, the football roundup on Energy Sport. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.